background. There we are. Right, so we're recording. So, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to, well, the first R2 cast, the first podcast by uh, myself, Rudolf Kitchen, where we've sort of turned people in farming, which was interviews written by me, probably very poorly, uh, probably very boringly, um, to try and make it a bit more fun and let you guys be able to listen and actually meet people, especially this year when that's not really been an option. So um, the first one we've got today is we've got uh, Glenn Burrows. Not the first one today, the first one, um, <laughs> which is today. Uh, we have Glenn Burrows. Glenn is with The Ethical Butcher, who you might have seen popping up on social media. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll just jump into it. I'm trying to do this as well as I can. Um, when, when I arranged to do this with uh, Glenn, he showed me all these fancy microphones and cameras and stuff and I'm sat here with my iPad sat on top of a couple of folders um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely uh, uh, behind in that capacity here but um, we'll start up just get a wee bit of history about Glenn as as Glenn himself and then we'll look into Ethical Butcher later on so uh, yeah Glenn who are you? <laughs> um, I'm th- th- well thanks for having me and thanks for the intro. No, I'm one of the one of the founders um, of the Ethical Butcher. Uh, we launched the business last February, so we haven't quite been running for a year yet. And um, my background before that was uh, photography, film, um, and advertising. So for for the last kind of twenty years, I was responsible for. Um, I was a freelance photographer and filmmaker working in the commercial sector. So I've kind of brought that knowledge into into the business really. So I take care of the look and the feel and the messaging, uh, the film and the photography and the brand, because we very much see ourselves as um, a content channel um, that sells a product. Interesting. So, so the the content sort of your primary, uh, not product, but your primary choice, and then you're 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 selling that product as a secondary. Is that what you mean, or? Uh, kind of our, our primary way of interacting with the world. I mean, we're we're an online brand. We don't have a, sh- a shop front, so everything we do is digital. So we kind of view ourselves as we're a content channel, and that's what drives the sales is information that we put out into the world, and that's that's a combination of written, uh, filmed, and photography, and also just because of part of the nature of how we operate as a brand, we offer this super level of traceability all the way through the supply chain so it's really important that i go and see every farm with a camera interview the farmer make a film and show people exactly where their food is coming from so that when they're on our website they can make informed choices excellent yeah and i think that that traceability a concept is something that has been done for a while but it's, it's not been sort of consumer knowledge for ages and uh, I, I think traceability is extremely important but um, we'll, we'll get on to sort of ethical butcher in a bit more in depth uh, later on the podcast the the reason I originally reached out to the ethical butcher originally and then uh, that was sort of uh, put on to Glenn luckily for him or unluckily for him <laughs> was uh, you might have seen um, the idea of regenuary on Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever social media you use. Uh, and that's been a concept that's been made up, well, not made up, conceptualized by the Ethical Butcher last year. Uh, and they brought it up this year. The reason it's came about is uh, the sort of influx of veganuary. Now, if I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's, it's, it's basically the idea of people going vegan for January. We've bulked up on a lot of meat in Turkey and whatnot over Christmas time and folk are considering uh, cutting any meat animal products out for the month of January. Those of you who don't know exactly what veganism is, it's not vegetarianism. 
So it's not just not eating meat, it's also not eating any secondary products. So eggs, uh, it's not using the likes of honey, it's not using things like resin and stuff like that. There's there's obviously a lot more, but that's just so you know what we're talking about. My opinion on this has always been that I've, I've never really been against going vegan. I mean, me personally, I haven't, but as, as a concept, uh, I, I've never seen a problem with it. From health perspective, you know, I'm no doctor. I'm in no position to say, you, uh, I don't know, you know. So if, if you've got a reason to go vegan for a health perspective, I think that's excellent, good. Hopefully it works, you know. Um, from a, a, an animal welfare perspective, I totally understand why you wouldn't be happy hearing um, about animals being slaughtered for uh, our consumption or anything like that. I get that. Um, the only thing I sort of start to change people's minds on and try and say, well, I kind of disagree is when you're doing it from an environmental perspective. So I could see, you know, if you're living in a place that's got a lot of grain production, US, anywhere that's got good grain production, being vegan is definitely an environmental viable option. But in Scotland here, uh, it's not something we have. <laughs> I know Glenn's not in Scotland, but, uh, you know, where, where we are in Scotland is, uh, is and, and the UK for a large part as well, we, we can't grow grain everywhere. What we can grow is very sustainable uh, red meat in the form of beef, uh, lamb, and also white meats as well. What Regenuary is, is basically looking at that possibility. Now, I'm not going to butcher it and, I mean, pardon the pun, I'm not going to butcher it and ruin what Regenuary is, so I'm just going to pass you on, on to Glenn. Uh, what is Regenuary? Where did it come from? And uh, what, what are you doing with it? <clears throat> Okay, so the idea kind of started from, uh, it was about, it was early January last year, and I was in the center of London, and I kept seeing posters everywhere from, you know, from a lot of major fast food brands, you know, I think it was everything from KFC to Pizza Hut to Domino's, you know, veganuary ready products. So it just started getting me thinking. Well, first of all, I, you you pointed this out absolutely brilliantly in one of your Facebook posts. Is like January is possibly the worst month of the year to persuade somebody who's new to veganism to take it up because there's such limited options available. I mean, if what do you, you suggested, veganuary, which would be yeah, well, you know, so much better. There's so, there's so much more local produce available to you. But and so I started thinking if somebody who's eating a fairly crappy diet at the moment and they're eating you know a lot of these sort of fast food products if all they do for a month is exchange the the real meat for the fake meat you're actually doing no good and in some cases you could be doing more harm not just to yourself but to the environment because a lot of these highly processed fake meat products have been you know grown in a monocrop system which is inherently damaging to the environment so it i i came home and i was kind of had lots of thoughts and feelings going through my head about why it was wrong and how it could be better. And I, I just sat in front of my computer, poured myself a glass of wine and started writing a Facebook post, um, thinking about regenerative agriculture. We hadn't yet launched the business at that stage, so we're, we're still trying to get that together. So I, I had it in my mind a lot about how to talk about regenerative agriculture and what it is, and I, I spent the summer visiting a lot of farms. So I was pretty kind of up to speed in my thought process about seeing the difference you know i'd seen arable converted to pasture and seeing the huge increase in life that, that comes from that um so i wrote this face facebook post with the word veganuary crossed out and suggested regenuary so and thinking regardless of whether you're vegan or omnivore what happens if you try and persuade an omnivore to give up meat for a month rather than 
thinking about how they're sourcing all of their foods because potentially somebody could participate in veganuary by eating KFC corn burgers and as long as there's no animal products in it you're you're participating so that was where the idea came from and it was just one of those things I put it up online without really thinking too much about it I thought it might be you know it might cause a bit of a stir but by the end of the month it had had over a million impressions 5000 shares and and something crazy like 17000 they got split over two things but something like 17000 comments and the comments were everything ranging from huge outpourings of support to literal death threats jeez that's that's quite scary isn't it i mean the, you know when when someone's out there trying to make a difference like you have there like you're yes it was just a concept and an idea and a uh, an intoxicated t- Facebook post, you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, your, your intentions were to try and in some ways change the planet, you know, do better for, for the environment. And that leads to death threats. And th- this is sort of part of, there's there's an activist side of veganism and there's also an activist side of, of, of the farmer uh, dispute. There's there's two yep. bad sides, definitely. Um, and that's the part I wish we could mitigate. I think both people have intentions for the planet and animal welfare, but I say both people, both sides. Um, and I wish there was sort of a come to together and a work together uh, that could happen there. And, and I think that's what you guys are doing. Um, you, you've you, you've got an experience in marketing and you're a bit better at coming up with good words and whatnot. I'd be like, uh, you know, try to do something. You know? <laughs> Nothing would actually come of it. So uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a great idea. And I've seen a lot of people um, a lot of people that aren't really involved in this food production discussion uh, talking about it and, and posting yeah. about it, which is excellent. Um, and I but think that's, that's, that, that's sort of the point is re- really, I mean, uh, after that first post and e- even now when we've resurrected it this year, all we're doing, I mean, it doesn't really exist as other than and other than the thought process. You know, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I'm starting now to kind of build out a directory of how people can source all of their foods from regenerative sources. I'm, I'm linking up with grain producers and um you know and vegetable producers and i i will be sort of building it out into something useful but at the moment what regenuary is is it's a discussion point it's a way yep. of having conversations about things but people the thing that's also struck me particularly more so this year than last year is the messages i'm getting from people who support what we're doing and what we're saying but they're too afraid to say so publicly Right. Okay. Which is quite astonishing to me. You know, people, I, I get a lot of messages from people, private messages on social media saying, thank you so much for what you're doing. I'm with you a hundred percent, but you're really, really brave to say it. And I'm like, this is madness. If, if somebody who consider themselves to be an ethical omnivore can't have a discussion around the subject with somebody who's decided to be a vegan, what kind of, what kind of craziness are we in? And it's, it's, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, if you were, you back to political party, for example. Yes, you might not tell everyone, but you're probably going to vote for them. And that that support there in something like this, there is no voting. There's no mm. sort of tangible evidence of support. So it needs to be that sort of backing and, and, and people backing. And if that's not there, if that's just purely in your inbox, then nothing's actually happening. Um, so folk really do need to, I don't want to say you need to come out and stand up for what you believe in, but I think if you want to make a change and be part of that benefit, you do need to sort of have your voice listened to. Um, yeah. But I get it's tricky. I do. I do get it's tricky. I mean, I'm always posting my opinion on Facebook and uh, it 
it's met with a lot of stuff as well, on much smaller scale than yourselves. But um, I think more people, as they see it, like you, myself, whoever, people are like, you know what, let's have our say. Let's have our backed up say. And I think it's great. So I strongly commend you guys for what you've done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and that's sort of me doing what those people in your inbox are doing. Uh, <laughs> you're doing great. Keep going. <laughs> um, but keep me out uh, of it. No. Yeah, exactly. I'll just, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think it's excellent. So so good on you guys. Um, I guess moving on from January, if, if you've more you want to say on that, absolutely. Uh, I, I was quite interested in the ethical butcher as a brand, as a business right. as well. So um, you've sort of touched upon what you offer in that, but what, what actually do you offer? What, what do you guys sell? So probably to tell you the story of the brand, I probably need to backtrack a bit, yeah. if that's okay, and tell Absolutely. you kind of how I approached it and where I came from. So I, I uh, although I've explained what my career was um, and sort of still is um, prior to f founding The Ethical Butcher, I did a degree in food science and nutrition, um, but it was sort of aimed at the food industry. Um, and in my degree, I was learning how to make like hyper palatable foods. We were learning how to make twiglets and Pringles and things like that. And what you couldn't put, could or couldn't put on them and what you should or shouldn't put on them to make people overeat. And, you know, um, so it's all about balancing ridiculous amounts of fat, sugar, salt against each other. Um, which I kind of thought, well, I'm really interested in food. <laughs> this isn't really what I want to be doing. But the, the turning point really was when I learned about the BSE crisis uh, in my degree. And this was caused by basically turning abattoir waste back into animal feed. Um, and this was, this was animal bones in the abattoir uh, when every last bit of um, usable meat has been stripped off and they were put through a series of rotating crushing wire brushes which would get any remaining bits off and it was a process called mechanically reclaimed protein but it wasn't just getting meat and tendon and sinew it was also getting spinal fluid and all kinds of stuff and this was being processed back into animal feed which was just an absolutely abhorrent process and of course, diseases were being passed on and the disease was passed on. It was scrapey from sheep into mad cow disease. Um, and anyone old enough to have been around in like 1989, 1990 would remember the, the BSE crisis. And for me, that was kind of enough. I, 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 things like the ethical butcher didn't exist. You know, you either were a farmer and killed your own or this was meat. There, there wasn't really much of an in-between. So... I decided that really I didn't want to be a part of this world and became a vegetarian and followed a different career path and uh, stayed that way for 25 years. So fast forward until my early, early mid forties, I'd been a vegetarian for 25 years. And what made me reconsider that was just sort of checking in with myself and asking myself how, you know, how do I feel? Do I think I feel as I should do for my age? Are these things that are happening to me now, are they just because I'm getting older? And is this correct? And, and um, should I feel like this? So I started digging a bit and I spoke to a friend who um, had been through the same sort of thing, but she had become, she'd started eating a paleo diet after being a vegetarian for a very long time and saw a huge improvement to her health. Put me onto a couple of books. Um, just quickly there, sorry, Glenn, could you just tell everyone what paleo diet is? A paleo diet is, it's a diet which includes um, meat, but it includes meat, but it tries to avoid um, modern 
products of agriculture, such as grains and um, and seed oils, as much as possible. So you're basically you're, you're eating um, you're eating meats and vegetables um, and dairy as your as the main source of calories. Very little processed food, very little refined sugar. Um, it, it's a it's looking back at thinking of in the Paleolithic era as much as possible. How can we match the diet that our cave dwelling ancestors would have had? There's a lot of controversy surrounding how close we could ever get to eating like a caveman, and, and I, you know, I completely agree with that. But essentially, what you're doing is you're you're eating high quality, well reared meats um, and lots of green leafy vegetables, and not so much grains, pulses, and things like that. And for me, this, you know, I, I decided to read some books. The first book I read was Rob Wolf's Paleo Solution, Paleo Diet Solution, I think it was called. Um, and Rob Wolf has just co-directed the film Sacred Cow. Um, okay. And so, so he's, and, but a very strong part of the paleo message is that your meat should be, what is, what did your food eat? So it's looking at the provenance of the meat that we eat, particularly the grazing herbivores, particularly the beef and lamb. And there's a huge emphasis put on grass fed um, okay. because gr the gr same grains that aren't good for us in large amounts, also not, not so good for grazing ruminants. Uh, and they change the omega balance of the fats and all kinds of things. So this was, you know, I, I read these books and thought, well, look, I, I was starting to develop uh, some odd health problems. I developed um, a huge patch of psoriasis, which came from nowhere. I, I suffered from terrible brain fog. My energy was very low. Uh, I needed to eat all the time, like every two or three hours, I needed to eat something. Um, and it was just, my blood sugar was just, you know, like a roller coaster. So. I was convinced enough from what I was reading to give it a try. Um, and, and I did, I gave it a try. And it was like a light was switched on in my brain, like everything felt better. Uh, and over the course of the next few years, my autoimmune problems went away. My brain fog went away. I was able to fast. I lost body fat, I put on muscle and I started just to perform better in pretty much every way I can think of. And for me, it was the difference between a high carb, high grain, a uh, higher sugar diet to one that was higher fat and higher protein just really, really suited my constitution. So at the time as well, when I sort of made the transition, as a photographer and filmmaker, I was mostly working within sport, health and fitness. That, that, that was my kind of genre, my realm. And I was even the picture editor of Men's Fitness for three years. And I worked for a lot of sport and fitness magazines. So all of the people I was interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis were you know, pro athletes, trainers, bodybuilders, you know, fitness models. And so this was just, I was surrounded by these wonderful people, all who had, you know, fantastic knowledge and really good thinking about the subject. You know, I went out to, I went out to film at the Arnold Sports Festival, which is like the biggest bodybuilding festival in, in, in the world. And we, you know, we got to interview powerlifters and bodybuilders and talk about their philosophies and diet and exercise and all, you know, it just, meeting fascinating people and it just sort of was fueling my my knowledge and, and my resolve to keep trying different things um so anyway that's that's kind of where i was at and then i met farshad so farshad is the other half of the ethical butcher he was um and i was introduced to him simply because he needed a filmmaking for crowdfunding um and i met this guy through a mutual friend who said he, something to do with meat, film, crowdfunding, just, yeah, you guys need to talk. Um, Farshad 
is um, he's Iranian. He's been living in London for like 20 years. He studied law and ended up working in Smithfield Market through a family business. Okay. And then he built up um, he built up quite a, a, a sizable business on his own as a meat trader. So he was buying buying meat from the market, uh, transporting it to someone to butcher, and then serving it to restaurants. Um, so he was at home with a laptop and had a man in a van running around London, and, and that was his business. The problem with that business is that you're basically up all night and chasing money all day. So yeah. he was doing well. His business was, you know, turning over a good money, but it was relatively low margin because of the amount of work he had to do. So he had an idea to crowdfund to create a unit where he could keep stock, do butchery, and get the van going from one place out. Uh, and then thought, well, if I've got this unit in this space, I'll um, I'll make a website and sell to the public. And when I met him, that's kind of about where we were at. But he had a few ideas about the direction he wanted to go. But it was it was it was about there. And then he actually told me. He said, I, 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 "As a filmmaker, I was trying to find a story. I was like, so what do we? You know, what's the USP? What are we going to pull out here? What are we? What are we going to tell people about your business?" And he said. I've come across this organization called the PFLA, the Pasture-Fed Livestock Association, yep. and it's only grass-fed, and I think their stuff's really high quality. And that was like, for me, I suddenly saw then, here's an opportunity to not just, you know, to, to not just make a film for this guy, but to actually get involved in the business because this is something I can stand behind. I can help turn this business into the place I would want to buy my own food. Um, so we talked more and more and more and more. And um, I sort of floated the idea of having the business um, basically follow the ethics. So having the business be primarily concerned with ethics and let everything else kind of follow yep. down from there. So, so to be the first online butcher where ethics are at the absolute priority rather than, rather than saying we're quality or we're whatever, well, let's, let's, let's start at the absolute top. Um, we had a bit of a chat about it. As I said, I was pretty well researched on on the subject at the time, and he turned around to me and said, "I'll go down the ethics route, but on one condition." I'm like, uh, "Okay, what's the condition?" He goes, "I'll give you part of the business, and you come with me on the journey." So okay. that's how through. it started. <laughs> so he he saw me as somebody who doesn't mind talking, um, and he's um, you know it do, doesn't doesn't mind talking about the subject and was passionate about it. And um, yeah, I, as I said, at the time, I was really struggling to know where, where I bought my own food from. I was going to farmers markets. I was talking to the farmers. I found that even some of the farmers at the farmers market were a bit cagey when I asked them, is it grain finished? Was there any soy in the feed? And, and they kind of didn't really want to fully answer questions. Sometimes they didn't even know. And, you know, okay. um, so there's all this kind of thing going on. There was the odd website here and there where, where I could buy direct from farmers and farms, but the quality was a bit all over the place and half the time you know i bought stuff all the labels had come off and the packaging and when it right. arrived all wet and soggy and i didn't know what things were so i really did see it as my intention with the ethical butcher was to make the business that i would want to buy from yeah yeah and, and surely i mean it's surely being you know actively interested in what you're you're providing is is a very important thing in any business never mind something that you're dealing with sentient beings and so yeah on. yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, no, good stuff. Um, uh, I just wanted to quickly ask, what Arnold Classic were you at? I love it. I watch it a lot. <laughs> totally off topic. Sorry, <laughs> say that again. What year Arnold Classic were you at? What year was that? 
uh, that would probably be four or five years ago, I guess. Was that is that the year Eddie Hall first one uh, pulled his world record deadlift, or is that the next year? I don't I, know. I, I we we, we were filming we were filming a bodybuilder <laughs> called Ben Pakulski. Okay. Um, no, so so we, we were we were sort of making a little film and series of stuff with him for a magazine called Iron Life. Right. Um, so I, I wasn't really following the powerlifting at the time, but it was uh, <laughs> it was quite a fascinating world to dip into. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's probably not what you'd expect to talk about today. I certainly didn't, but no, I, I follow <laughs> it hugely. I mean, I, I follow it as in I watch it on social media. I don't do any of it. <laughs> but, uh, oh, you, you don't, you're not a lifter yourself? Not in the slightest. Um, no, I'm just a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I love watching. Yeah, well, cl clearly I'm not. I'm a rock climber. That's my thing. <laughs> I try and stay yeah, light. I'm more. I'm more the rock. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, not not very hard though. Just sort of a big guy. Anyway, this is this is going off topic. Not um, track. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you said you don't mind talking. I, I'm uh, quite similar. Um, I, I think some people maybe get annoyed with it, but you're obviously a, a good face for a company that sort of thing that can uh, you know be passionate and 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 tell people what 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 it is you have so if if i was to go online um on death culture uh, what what could i buy what what specific products could i buy um beef lamb pork and chicken um so w when we launched the business um launched about three weeks before lockdown and at the very beginning all we all we sourced was beef and lamb and the reason for yep. that is um our vetting process so we the PFLA, um, for, for those that don't know, it's probably worth me just explaining what the PFLA are and why they exist. So there's an organization called the Pasture-Fed Livestock Association, and they certify farms who are um, dealing with grazing ruminants, so beef and lamb. And the reason they exist is that there's a loophole in DEFRA's food labeling system, which allows grass-fed to be used as a term for meat that's been predominantly fed on grass, not completely fed on grass. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so cattle can be grain finished and taken to an extreme form. It could be fifty-one percent, forty-nine percent, but cattle can be grain finished and still legally sold as grass-fed, as okay. long as as long as they spent more of their life on grass and grain. Now, what's bad about this is that even um, the PFLA have done research to suggest that even a couple of weeks of grain feeding. Is enough uh, to completely change the omega balance of fats in the in the meat. Okay. So, um, grain finished cattle will have high levels of omega six, and and uh, properly pasture raised cattle will ha will have high levels of omega three. And uh, one one of our farmers actually, um, who well one of the farms I visited that we've yet to buy from, she the farmer was a sports nutritional therapist before she became took over the family farm and started farming, and she was very active in every, every time she sends an animal to slaughter, she takes a steak and sends it to the lab for testing. She wants to know what the nutritional content of the meat is and then tweaks the cover crops and the pasture mixes that she feeds them the year to try and yeah. improve, improve the carotenoids and the omegas. And she told me that she'd had one batch recently, um, when I, re recently when I filmed her a year ago, and the lab had called her up and said, if we didn't know that this was meat from the nutritional profile, we'd, we'd, we'd say that you'd sent us wild salmon. Right. To test. That's very interesting. And, and 
that's what that's what beef should be and that's the effect it should have on our bodies when we eat it it should be low inflammation anti-cancer it should be protecting us against disease not giving us disease and the things that cause inflammation are when the meager balance of the fats in our diet are out of whack ideally we should have yep. a one to one to one of three to six to nine our diets tend to be very very high in six because that's vegetable oils that's seed oils which is in a lot of the processed foods we eat um and so one way you can offset this is just by making sure we're all told to eat, eat more omega-3s and that's simply to try and get this ratio more balanced but anyway that's why the pfla exists so farmers that sign up to the pasture fed livestock association they they're audited they're checked and their animals eat nothing but pasture um yep. so uh, they're allowed silage in the winter. I think they're allowed lucerne pellets, but they're not eating any grains. So because these farms have already been like pre-vetted by the PFLA, we thought, well, that's our starting point. The places yep. we can't go and visit ourselves and, and check everything out. If we buy from a PFLA certified farm, we at least know that, that they're meeting our sort of minimum standards, if you like. Moving on from that, as we're doing our research, we, we became aware of um the savory um lantern market program and yep. what regenerative agriculture can do and holistic management and plant grazing and as we're talking to the farmers they're telling us what they do some of them started mentioning these you know holistic grazing and agroforestry systems they're doing so then we realized um we, we realized what the next sort of stage on really from just not feeding grains is to do something regenerative to put the animals back into a system where you're improving soil uh, you're building soil, you're improving soil carbon, and you're actively improving biodiversity on the land. And some of them are measuring it through a process called ecological outcome verification, which is used with the savory methods um, yep. of holistic decision making to improve biodiversity. And then we visited a couple of farms that were doing this, and that was like mind blown. Like yeah, to, yeah. See, interesting. to see what used to be um effectively a desert where an arable farmer had had an area of land where they where they'd spent decades actively trying to reduce biodiversity because they only wanted one crop to grow yeah and then the beef farmer comes in and does exactly the opposite everything they're doing is trying to bring in as much other life as possible because it benefits the system as a whole and they're putting a grazing herbivore into this system to perform a role and we're performing a role within the system of the apex predator but yeah, the yeah, point yeah. of the point of the system is complexity and complexity makes the system less brittle so as we've gone on we've encouraged more and more of our farmers whether they're pfla or not is to is to take on these um regenerative practices and so regenerative agriculture is becoming more and more known about and that sort yeah. of segues right back into regenerary but uh, you asked sort of the ethical virtue. So we started out with beef and lamb and we started um, sourcing it from uh, PFLA farms. And it took a long time before we really started serving anything else, selling anything else, because yeah. I couldn't really find stuff that I was happy with. I was calling, okay. uh, I was calling poultry farms, I was calling pig farms and it, the, the ethics were never quite right. It wasn't quite, we, we did actually, we sold a bit of, kicking through it through a couple of supplies which i thought was they're as as good as they could be but i still wasn't entirely happy because both of them had a bit of soy in their feed and, and i wanted yeah. to try and eliminate soy from the food chain so 
I started having a lot of conversations with feed mills, um, the feed mills that were supplying our chicken supplies, and they were quite open about their ingredients and their sourcing. And all of them, you know, they said, yep, there is some soy. There's not much because it's very expensive, but the country of origin is Brazil. And I'm like, yep. that I want to try and get rid of. So I started a bit of a campaign and I actually used the, the fan, fantastic knowledge base that is the PFLA forum. So the PFLA yep. has a forum for farmers where they discuss ideas. Okay. And it's one of the most incredible places for progressive ideas in, in, in farming, you know, and ideas. And I started putting on there, look, I know you're, you guys are all kind of cattlemen, but um, anybody know anything about soy-free chicken? And a few conversations started up and, you know, can you grow chicken without soy? And the people, interestingly, the people that were doing chicken pretty much said no. They said modern breeds of chicken, uh, a couple of key stages in life, <clears throat> the amino acids in soy can't be done. Um, they just won't grow properly without it. We haven't found a proper substitute yet. But then we spoke to a guy who is a beef farmer who is running holistic grazing pattern. And he'd seen some uh, methods done by a guy in America called Joel Stalatin um, of Polyphase Farm who was following his beef through the rotational system with chickens and the chickens were getting a lot of nutrition from the land because um, they were eating the worms and the dung beetles and all the things that the yeah. cows had stirred up and, and the improvement in biodiversity there was feeding chickens. But the chickens were moved every single day onto fresh pasture. So uh, this guy, Mark Chappell, said, um, I'm kind of crazy enough to get some chickens and see if this works, if you guys will sort of support me financially while we do it. And we said, yes. And uh, last year we were able to, um, yeah, we went through a bit of a development process with him and we, um, we produced our soy-free chicken, which ended up winning a great taste award. That's very interesting. So that I was, I'll be honest, when, sorry, when you mentioned pigs and chicken there, I was like, where's this going? I'm very interested. That's very, it could almost, I'm just thinking, depending on what the chickens pick up, it could work as a natural anthelmintic in some senses. Could it, maybe? I don't know, that's probably a discussion for another day. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't expect as uh, impressive an answer for the chicken, I'll be honest. So, uh, well done. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that, was, that was kind of a bit of a pet project of mine. And, and, and the bit yeah. that really gave it validation is we sent one to um, uh, a three Michelin star chef, um, called Pierre Kaufman and um, and we sent him one and he he said it's the best chicken he's ever had um, and he said it, it rivals anything he's had from France you know and and uh, you know to oh. hear that from uh, a Michelin star chef on a roast chicken is is uh, you know is quite an honor um, and yeah our, our next mission really is is we're we're doing the same with pork we're we're working with um, we're working with our pork producers to eliminate the last little bits of soy from the feed there and one thing that's been incredibly helpful in all this actually is meeting a guy called Duncan Farrington and he runs a company called Mellow Yellow Rapeseed Oil and I, even though you know vegetable oils have got nothing to do with 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 a you know butchery business I became aware of the incredible um, regenerative work that he was doing and it sort of flipped um, it flipped on its head my thoughts on what, how monocropping can actually be. I, I just thought monocrop foods are inherently damaging and the best you can do maybe is to, you know, plant a strip around the field or plant some trees or something, but really it's, it's not doing much good for the world. And then I saw what he was doing of planting companion crops with his oilseed rape 
uh, doing drilling, not tilling. Um, and his company had been certified carbon neutral. So I was really, really fascinated what he's doing. So I went, I went to see him and he showed me what he does. And um, he, he, whole company had achieved carbon neutral status because they're putting so much carbon back into the soil with all these methods they're using. Um, he, he was, he was also putting, um, he was also using um, vetch and using, um, is it vetch uh, and legumes to fix nitrogen and phosphorus? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different plants. Um, he planted strips around the edge, he'd, which had particular mix of wildflowers that the, that the things that would heat his rate would prefer. Other things which would encourage pollinators that would eat the bugs that would be on his rate. So just this incredible system. And as I was talking to him uh, and interviewed him, he said, oh yeah, and after we've pressed, you know, we pressed the oil out of the oilseed rate, we end up with this stuff called rapeseed meal. And even before we get to use that, we're carbon neutral. And uh, the rapeseed meal is very high in protein and high in omega-3. So, and, he, and I said, well, what do you do with it? He said, oh, it gets used for chicken and pig feed. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> we need to use it. So now we're sort of working with our, pork supplier to try and replace the soy with this stuff, which is a carbon neutral product. So uh, yeah, if, if, if that works, I'm going to be very happy about that because it's kind of completing the circle from a carbon point of view. That's cool. I'm going to follow that page. That sounds very interesting. It's, it's funny, the whole idea of, I mean, um, eliminating herbicides and stuff is very difficult. Uh, very difficult. It's one of the biggest things in agriculture, you know, yeah. and one company I've, I've always followed is a small robot company. Yeah, they, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. like yeah. Tom, Dick, and Harry are the coolest little things in the world. But I won't get into that. Um, uh, maybe we'll uh, have I'm one, huge one day, but... fans of Small Robot, yeah. and they did Probably. something incredibly <laughs> kind to us, actually. Right. Um, they're they're big supporters of what we're doing, and they actually shared our our upcoming crowdfunding campaign on their campaign, which okay. is incredible. I mean. A lot of love there. <laughs> well, I mean, if I can get their contact, that'll be excellent. <laughs> no, absolutely good, uh, brilliant. Um, cool. Well, I mean, I think unless you've got anything more you'd like to say about the Ethical Butcher specifically, Glenn, um, I'm, I'm happy with what we've covered there. Unless there's anything you'd be looking. No, I guess yeah. there's one one more thing. If I can, if I can absolutely. get it. No, absolutely. Um, is I really I would like we're um, we've grown very quickly in the last year. And we're about to go through our second uh, crowdfunding raise. We're launching okay. that in February. So if anyone's interested in investing, it's um, it's an EIS scheme. So you get tax back on your investment and you actually own a percent, a part of our company for your investment. So if anyone really wants to support us, um, either look at the website, buy some meat. If you want to take it a stage further, you're, uh, you know, we're obviously very welcome to invest in us when, when we're live on Crowdcube in February. Well, quite an opportunity that, and if if you want to pass me on a link to to that uh, that funding, I'll put it in descriptions of Spotify, YouTube, wherever this goes. Thank you, thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely, no, not at all, not at all. Uh, I would say thank you for for you being on, but I've got a couple of things I'd just like to ask you. I, I want sure. to try and keep that people in farming was what I called this before. It was just chatting to people in all corners of the farming industry, and uh, two things I always ask people was, where do you see yourself in five years, and if you had any tips for people coming into your industry, which for you is very everywhere, <laughs> give tips for everything <laughs> if you wish, um, that's absolutely fine, um, that was always something I did, so uh, yeah, where, where do you see yourself, and where do you see Ethical Butcher in five years? 
In five years, um, I'd like to think that we would continue to grow and exist, but I, I think what I'd like to see the, the, the difference we made is in five years time, I would like to see our company used as a trademark or used as a, a guarantee of provenance, really. Um, okay. I'm a bit frustrated at the moment that there isn't one place that people can go to, to look on poultry, pork, wild game, um, beef and lamb and say it has this particular tick therefore it has been farmed in a regenerative way so I'd like in five years time our company to stand for almost to be a certification for um, regeneratively produced meat so you, I, I think, looking... I think if, if we can get to a stage where oh, so I was just going to say you're looking where we're recognized regenerative assurance you could be that scheme Kind of, yeah, the, 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 yeah. But, but more than that, to, to include not just regenerative assurance, but um, animal welfare, um, you know, uh, the whole the whole part of it. So look, looking at animal welfare, looking at, you know, um, uh, you know, I'd like to, in five years time as well, I'd like to think that we've got a better grip on slaughter because it's the one okay. part of the process we don't we don't have control over. Um, you know, our farmers are using whichever abattoirs they choose. And it ranges from, you know, small farm kill units to big abattoirs, you know, and I'm just not happy that, you know, we don't have control over that, that part of the process. Okay. So I would really, really like to think in five years time, we had a mobile abattoir, which could offer the highest levels of welfare and, and lack of fear to the animals. Um, I think that would really kind of just, you know, the animals, the animals that our farmers keep, have the most fantastic levels of care and the one day the most important day um is something that we don't have control over and it's just would be nice to have control over that as well so that, that's the two things i'd like i'd like to achieve in five years it's a it's a a, a big five years for you then <laughs> uh, no good i mean the slaughter process is one that's it's, I'm sure our butchers do everything they can to make it as, as welfare aware, aware for the animals as, as possible. It's it's one that we're always going to struggle um, to talk to the public about, no matter how yeah. we defend it. And I get that. I totally get that. Um, but yeah, if, if there's some kind of, there already is assurance schemes for sure for slaughterhouses and whatnot, but if, if for your business specifically, you're able to have a say in that, that would be beneficial for you guys. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and... Well, I mean, take from this what you will. Talk about any part of your career. Um, maybe in marketing, agriculture would be quite an interesting one because it's a place we don't have much of. You know, we've got companies that do that. Companies like QMS in Scotland, Red Tractor, NFUs, that sort of thing. Um, but what would your tips be to folk to try and promote agriculture as a, you know... Agriculture. <laughs> so, something... As an outsider to the, to, yeah. to agriculture, I mean, I and until two years ago, I live in central London. Until two years ago, I'd barely been to a farm. You know, even I grew mm -hmm. up in the countryside, but I'm I'm very much an urban dweller. And uh, yeah. the thing that really struck me was I went to a Groundswell Festival run by John Cherry. Fantastic festival, um, all about regenerative agriculture and farming. Um, and the, when I was there, I was really struck about there was a, a strange disconnect between agriculture and food. And I, I couldn't quite get my head around it. I was at this festival talking about regenerative agriculture, thinking this has to be where the best ingredients 
and the best produce in the whole country are made by the people here. And yet there's no sense of how that connects to high quality food. So I think if someone's in agriculture and, and they're wanting to promote what they do and promote their products, it's just reminding people that what they're making is food. And, and that sounds like such a bizarre thing to even have to say. But um, in fact, you and I chatted chatted a bit about this um, when you know when we had our phone call. There's a disconnect between agriculture and food, and usually it's because there are so many steps in between. Um, yep. You know, there's there's processing and distribution, that, and and things get very kind of mixed up in that. Um, but talk about provenance and talk about food and and link it to agriculture. Have people make that link. Brilliant. And yeah, and that's part of what I've tried to do ever since I came out of college and pushed that. And I think people are now, you know, um, uh, farmers are, they've always been aware of that connection, obviously. Um, and I think hopefully we're trying to promote it and promote that that food you're eating is one, and you guys are doing this specifically, good for the environment, two, that animal's not went through anything, and three, hopefully good for you as a consumer. Um, the good for you as a consumer part is, I would say it's not not our job. We're just not great at it. <laughs> That's not the, the, yeah. the we yeah. haven't looked into that the, the human nutrition side of it. Um, yeah, that what you guys are doing is great and promoting that. That, that. There's a different sector required for that. But I think what you're saying is just talk about the, the farming and food connection. And I mean, hence the name of my page. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think that's excellent. Um, I think uh, I think from my perspective, that was great. Uh, if you've anything else you'd like to say, fire on. Love to hear it. If, no, I mean, you know. I think I think you've you've asked you've asked some good stuff there, and we've kind of covered <laughs> off, you know, where we are, what we stand for, and you know where I think things are going. So thank you very much for having me. No, not at all. And um, yeah, I, I appreciated you coming on. I mean, I sent the message, and, and you replied in about two minutes. So uh, <laughs> I was I was impressed at that for sure. Um, if you have any tips for me as well, I'm asking for tips for everyone that's listening. You, you seem very good. Uh, I mean, I think I said at the start of the podcast, for those of you listening, um, I, I I phoned Glenn just before it, just to make sure everything was all right. And he showed me, well, he didn't show me, he told me all this kit he had. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm doing this off an iPad, sitting in two folders. So um, if you have well, any look, tips... If, if, if you think my audio is working, then then I'll, I'll put you onto this device I'm using to get Agreed. good audio because that's I'll, I'll send you I'll send you a couple of links uh, on email when we finished for for the bits and pieces. But um, the, I mean the picture's as clear and good as it needs to be, um, and I can hear you perfectly clearly. But if you do want to up your game, I'll, I'll send you what I'm using. <laughs> I, I probably need to up my game. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you very much and. Um, Hopefully we'll keep in touch. And one thing I will say to everyone listening, uh, what are you guys on Facebook, Instagram? Uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. But yeah. So follow the Ethical Butcher on uh, those three platforms. Check out their website. And uh, also, um, if you want to buy some meat from them, obviously do that. And the final thing was, uh, Glenn had mentioned there, that the crowdfunding uh, link, which will be coming live next week, uh, next month. I'll um, Once that comes live, I'll put that in the descriptions and whatnot thank, for you. Thank you very um, much. Really so, kind. no, not at all. Thank you. And uh, I'll just stop the recording there.